This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everyone. Tennis.com podcast time. I am Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo and Steve Tigner. We've uh, assembled for to talk about uh, the latest controversy in tennis, and this would be the, the Donald Young Twitter controversy. Pete's already kind of rolling his eyes about this one here. Not really, but... Back in back in 2006, when I went to a rained-out U.S. Open, I saw one match that year. I saw Donald Young play Novak Djokovic, and we're going to talk about both those guys <laughs> today who have pretty much gone in completely different directions since then, but uh, that's just my little past on it. Pete, you were on the call yesterday with Patrick McEnroe, who held this conference basically from what I gathered just to kind of officially put things out there from the USTA's point of view. And what I was surprised that when I read what Patrick said, that he still really seemed to at least leave the door open a little bit, even after all this stuff and this latest sort of incident. Were you surprised at Patrick's response that um, he would still even consider taking Donald Young under their wing again? Well, not at all, unless you take the totally, you know, the totally, I don't know, protocol and manners related point of view, which is that the kid, you know, fired out some expletives, trashed somebody, therefore get rid of him. I think I think it speaks well of Patrick that, you know, and I think this is sincere on his part. I don't think he's blowing smoke. Is that, look, he's, his interest is, is in developing good American players. I mean, given his brother and some of the expletives and tirades his brother engaged in, pretty you, you know, it would be, he would be really taking the moral high ground in, in, an, in, in a kind of a questionable way here if he said, well, you know, uh, Donald Young's behavior is just outrageous. I think he really... I think he really wants to leave the door open, but I think it's one of these deals. We're not going to take it anymore, and you've got to either, you know, either our way or the highway to some degree. But having said that, even on that call, he spent a lot of time on that call talking about how flexible the player development program is, and it is. You know, a guy like John Isner wants to keep his coach. The USTA says, fine. They don't say, well, you've got to take our coach if you want to take our grant money to travel or if you want to take our training facilities, then you've got to go with our coaches. But, you know, when the Youngs went to, went to, went to the USTA, the USTA said, look, here's what we want to do for him. Here's what we can do. Here's what we plan. And then, you know, he would sort of get halfway through that program. And then all of a sudden the parents would start making, you know, changes and saying, well, he doesn't need to do this or, you know, and, and that's when it, the wheels kind yeah. of fall off. And saying that, I mean, I, I say that about Patrick, kind of surprised at that. But, but he, as we were talking about, he didn't pull any punches with this call either. He definitely took obvious umbrage with the statement. And he was, you know, very critical. I think of, of Donald and, and and the whole camp of his. So, I mean, he clearly is disappointed, extremely so, with how things have turned out here. Well, you know, Patrick, you know, given the fact of how angry he was in his call, I think he really said all the right things. And I don't mean that again in a PR sense. I mean that in a very genuine, basic sense. First of all, he didn't fudge. It wasn't around. like a statement sort of call. It wasn't like the, you know, it wasn't. Uh, 
to say these things just to just to get it out there. It was personal, really. Well, it was personal, but it was personal on behalf of his staff, and that's where I think Patrick really sort of played it right. And I think it came from his heart, not not as a matter of how we can, not as a matter of damage control or how we're going to deal with this issue. But, you know what Pat was really upset about, and I actually talked to him after the conference call a little bit. Well, he was what he was really upset about was that you know you know his staff. He's got six seven people who have really put a lot of time and effort into Donald Young. You know, these are guys, Jay Berger, for instance, gets back from Australia. He apparently was really sick with some kind of a flu-type virus, whatever. He gets back from Australia after a pretty tough trip there, jumps in the car, drives up to Boca, and spent eight days with Donald Young working with the kid. Right. And, you know, and so that this is a total oft-repeated story that these are the kinds of things that happen, and then all of a sudden and then they pull the plug. And they don't show up or they decide, well, we don't want to do that. And then you know, the USTA guys look at each other, what are we doing here then? So this is the kind of thing. And I think Patrick was really, really – I think his team really felt let down, and I think Pat was really angry on behalf of his team. It's, you can't do this to my guys. Right. Steve, you saw the high point of Don Young this year when you were in Indian Wells, the – where this, I think, maybe started from their perspective was he got this big win over Andy Murray, and then he won this challenger event and sort of felt entitled to get this French Open wild card. Uh, I may just kind of ask you what you what you think about Donald Young. He's been around, it seems like, for five or six years right now. Like, Is his game still one where you see all sorts of potential if he could actually harness it? It's tough to tell from day to day. I watched him in Australia in the qualifying. He played two really outstanding qualifying matches in killed two guys, you know, not terrible tennis players, decent pros to um, to make it into the main draw, and I thought, well, you know, started to think, okay, he's he looks like he's playing well right now. Then he, he went out and played Marin Cilic, a guy that he was rivals with as a junior. They were one and two in the world at one point, and he just had no answer for Cilic. Cilic was just a level above um, Donald Young, and similar thing happened in Indian Wells. He beat Murray, and I thought he played you know, most people thought Murray was horrible, and I guess he was. But um, Donald Young, I thought he played an excellent match that time, and some of the some of the talent that I'd always seen came out there. Murray didn't give him a whole lot of credit after the match, by the way. He <laughs> sort of said Donald Young could be pretty good. Um, and, and then, did, and then get, Murray, yeah. and then um, Young played Tommy Robredo, and again, he didn't. He was a level below Robredo. He just had nothing that could hurt Robredo. Similar to the Chilich match, it seemed like he had. You know, he can get to a certain level, but he hasn't gotten beyond that. Right. Yeah. Because that's what I mean. I just wonder if, we, if we've been talking about Don Young for so long that it's – if it's even worth – I mean, this this is an incident that's obviously worth discussing. Well, the discussing, problem has been there for them. I, I went – I visited them in 2005 at their place in Atlanta. The parents ran a tennis academy and, and watched Donald practice. And I remember thinking at some point he's going to have to leave and go to something like either Boletaries or – somewhere more rigorous because he just wasn't getting he wasn't he wasn't working out at the same level it was fine but it wasn't it just didn't seem to have that sort of sense of urgency about about the way he was about the way he was working out and practicing yeah and that's kind of how it's played out in the pros i think hey let's not forget this kid in 2007 was ranked top 100 he's he's his ranking is very was very close to what it is now and what it is now represents a pretty big comeback over the past couple months for him so look when you're looking at a guy who's 21 years old and who's you know ranked in the top you know right around the top 100 maybe number 100 in fact i think he might have been at the end of 207 i believe and then you look at and say now he's 95 you know, that tells you he's spinning his wheels. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's a great effort to be number 95 in the world. But let's face it, this is, you know, this they had expected more. The U.S. had hoped for more. Everyone, you know, the parents, I'm sure, expected more. So, you know, it's, you know, there's, 
you know, you, you can't, you know, the results tell a story. He had a pretty interesting press conference in Indian Wells after he beat Murray. He talked about how he had this revelation when he was, he we practiced with USTA with Marty Fish and Sam Query over the new year. And he, Donald Young admitted and said that he just realized then that he hadn't been working out. He thought he'd been working hard, but he really hadn't when he saw what these guys were doing. What that means now, I don't know what his attitude, whether it's changed now. It seems to be different. At that point, he seemed to have a very good a very good outlook on things. And that's something that needs to be said going back to what you originally said about Patrick, you know, throwing him under the bus and saying, look, get out of here. You know, you know, you're done. You know, we're not going to help you anymore. Is the fact that, you know, Patrick said that every time that every time he gets with the guys, he gets with the team, gets with the USTA program, with the coaches. And if he's left there with them and they can focus on what they got to do, he's great. He's, like, he's enthusiastic. He listens. He does everything he's told. So Patrick really doesn't want to – he doesn't have – he doesn't think this is a bad kid by any stretch. He's, he thinks he's a kid who's got all kinds of problems and issues and conflicting signals going on. So Sounds like he's still a kid and still has, still has a lot of growing up to do. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting out of this. Moves fast and tennis. Yeah, so yeah it, happens, no- it happens to him on the court too. It's one of his big problems I think is he just – when he gets down, he gets really down. Yeah. That's true. You could see he starts like he gets, really hanging his head he and hangs his tossing head his racket. Yeah, one and one. It could be something pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. He gets so. discouraged. Uh, yeah, so we'll see if that goes anywhere this summer, if this even gets brought up. But I don't think you're going to see Daniel getting too many U.S. Open Series wild cards anytime soon. Let me tweet that, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> the longest professional tennis match lasted 11 hours, 5 minutes, and took more than 3 days to finish. During the match, there were 980 total points played, 138 games, 2,189 strokes, and 489 backhands. And combined, the players spent over 11 hours on their feet. Just imagine how much longer they could have gone if they were wearing the ASICS Gel Resolution 3. With a Flexion Fit Upper for extra stability, it's engineered to go deep into the fifth set. ASICS. Sound mind, sound body. All right, the other man we were talking about, that young Djokovic match, the, the world number two, the Serbian, he, he plays this week, first time on the clay. He took off uh, Monte Carlo last week. I thought that was quite a smart decision because he's going to be playing this week in Belgrade and then next week in Madrid, then Rome, and then there's only one week off until the French Open. So it's just kind of running the gauntlet here. Uh, so s- some physical things that I think if afflicted Djokovic in the past, Steve, you just mentioned that yeah, he's, he, talk, he's, he's kind of talked about this. Been lately. talking this week about his how he's got a new nutritionist who's helped him. He's he had allergies and uh, he said he didn't he wasn't eating right, he wasn't training right, and this he's sort of crediting a lot of his um, a lot of his his resurgence, his surge this year, and and his ability to handle the heat and and his his weight loss, his better conditioning to this to his new trainer. Um, so he's been, he's been mentioning that also, you know, I also, I think it was a good idea for him to take those weeks off. He sort of, he had the first part of his season. Now he can start with the second part, get a little break. He played a lot because he won a lot of matches. He won every match. So he, he played a ton of matches. I also agree that it's, I think it's a good, I think it was a good move to skip Monte Carlo. The only problem I guess is it, it left, leaves the door open for Nadal to build up his momentum, which he obviously has. And, you know, Djokovic sort of has to start over. Yeah, I just, I wonder, let's, let's, you know, we can debate whether we would think that Djokovic would beat Nadal, but do you think at, at a minimum, and I think this is sort of reasonable to talk about or expect after what he's done so far this year, do you expect Djokovic pretty much to go through this 
Clay season, the way he's done the hardcore, like, you know, Nadal's is obviously its own battle in the final, but should he pretty much be taking care of everybody else and kind of filling that Roger Federer role of a couple of years back? Well, I think the Clay is really a different story here, and I think also there might be be you know a, a kind of a delayed reaction to how good a season he early season he had that's why in some ways i almost think the guy should have sort of at least gone on in some way you know uh, because now this has been a big break and as steve said it that's probably been, yeah. very good for him because it's you know the end of part one here comes part two let's get ready and prepared on the other hand he loses some of that momentum from part one in some ways and uh i think he's got a lot of time to think about these things and he's watching nadal clean up it's <laughs> kind of funny you know nadal is saying yeah, that can't make him feel good exactly <laughs> nadal is talking about barcelona and he's and he's saying that well you know you, you got to get those points you know you never know when a, when a race is going to tighten up and it guys and so you know obviously you know here's a guy nadal is Saying, you know, I got to play Barcelona because, you know, who knows what Djokovic is going to do? He's going to, this guy's going to try to catch me. So that really kind of throws a gauntlet, you know, obviously not consciously or anything. And so now, you know, it's going to be, you know, Djokovic has really got, I think, a real challenge here. It's a little bit like, all right, step up, show me what you really got. You know, you, you won your segment, you did great. I was there every step of the way in the finals. You meet me in these finals in Madrid and Roma, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and you, and can I see, think that's- you can see Nadal play better in Barcelona than in Monte Carlo. He's pretty much back to to where he likes to be. I think he was pretty much back to his... He didn't have the toughest draw in the world, but just from his level, his level was pretty high in Barcelona. I think both guys are sort of realizing the stakes and what and what's sort of to come. I think what's almost expected to come. I think from what the comments we've heard from Djokovic, you know, all his, all his comments are just looking forward and trying to get to that number one and Nadal is trying to stake his turf that, he, that he's had for so long on clay, obviously. So it's... Uh, it's the final that uh, I would guess we'll probably see it. Maybe one of those two big matches, but you never know. Um, I mean, Nadal. I guess we could mention it. I mean, do you do you think uh, anybody see any slip ups for him along the way at all? Or I mean, at least I don't know. It's ma- tough to say. I mean, you look at the history. He's only he's only gone through all the Masters and the French Open one time. As dominant as he's been, he's always lost a match along the way, except for last year. So by that standard, I would think he's going to lose somewhere. But then by watching him, watching how much better he was, how well he played in Barcelona, there's no, there's no person I could say is who's going to beat him. I mean, David Ferrer is he's a, he's a great player, yeah. and he just and just two finals, two strokes. I mean, the he's Ed McMahon to Johnny Carson. But you yeah. know, uh, you know, the other thing with you know, look, who thought Robin Soderling was going to beat Rafael Nadal in the fourth round of the French Open in 2009? You know, nobody. You know, I mean, you know, but you know, and, and granted, you know, there was. There was a Nadal injury, you know, knees and stuff, but you know, you don't know about these things, so it's it's hard to say. You can't. I, I think it's it's just insane to say that well, Nadal is going to win the French Open, or that or that Djokovic, no way Djokovic can beat Nadal on clay. Of course he can. Federer can beat Nadal on clay. Ferrer can beat Nadal on clay. Not recently, but you know. So you know, it, it, it's tough. It's really a question. I think of how much. To me, it's a question of how much Djokovic steps up to the to the challenge of the clay. You know. Um, one thing you could say, Djokovic and Nadal played a classic in Madrid a couple of years ago, and that was the match. I, and, you know, that's the type of match you always expect Nadal to win, um, and he's always won that type of match against against Djokovic. Except this last time in Key Biscayne, Djokovic beat him at the end. So there's a little different psychological element, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll see. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, the dog has a short memory, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, especially when he gets, once he gets on that clay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well. This week, like we said, Djokovic in Belgrade. Thanks again, Peter Bodo, Steve Tigner, I'm Ed McGrogan, Tennis.com Podcast. 
You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 